Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Two Average Brown Girls podcast. I'm your host, Bershank. And I'm your host, Andreas. And today is a brand new Monday, January 2023. January 23, 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Andreas, what's up? Not much. Um, you know, you had a pretty chill weekend, relaxed, watched some Netflix, mm, but that's about it. Not much more. Um, that I've done so far, so um, cannot really complain. How are Georgia? How are things down in Ottawa? Not bad, not bad. It, I think we're getting into the thick of winter because the weather has been somewhat colder, obviously, um, which I don't mind because, you know, winter needs to come and go. The faster it comes, the faster it can go. <laughs> but overall, I know February is supposed to be pretty cold. But other than that, not much else happening right now. Honestly, I think it's just it's just trying to make survive through the winter right now. Yeah, come that's honestly that's how it is. Just we're getting we're getting to the coldest month of the year. So Andreas, what did you learn this past week? This past week, what did I learn? I think that I learned something. I'm just trying to remember. I've just been it's been a little bit chaotic. So while I try to remember, Rishang, let's. Let's start with you. What did you learn this week? Yeah, so for me, I went on a huge um, documentary binge the last couple of days, I guess. Lots of Vice documentaries, but also just other videos on YouTube that I normally don't watch. Um, I've been wanting to watch a lot of like rural, you know, places in other countries, how people, people survive. So one of the videos I ended up watching was this nomadic, I guess, group of people in Kazakhstan, which eventually led me to this Vice documentary um, in Kyrgyzstan. Um, they they practiced this ancient tradition of bride kidnapping. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's... So what happens is anytime, you know, you want to marry somebody, you know, you have to go kidnap. And I really mean kidnap because some of the scenes from this documentary was pretty pretty disheartening but you pretty much go kidnap the girl that you want to marry and you bring her to your home um obviously she's gonna put up a lot of fight and she's gonna cry but then you know it's a whole bunch of guys just kidnapping this one girl taking her to the house and then the woman of the house eventually trying to convince this woman to get married to the son Mm -hmm. which sounds as bad as it is um i mean the weird thing is it has been Illegal, like you know, illegal in Kyrgyzstan, but the government really hasn't been doing anything about it. Like it still exists this day, obviously. You know, like it's not to the point where it was probably back in the day. The this practice was actually suppressed during the Soviet um, period, but then after the Soviet you know Union collapsed, it began to came back up as a form of elopement, almost. You know, like the one of the examples that the documentary used was say a guy and a girl were dating each other, but then in, during university, they go back to the houses and their parents, you know, force them to marry other people. They say, no, we have, you know, a, someone in our lives, but then their parents are like, no, you can't, like, we already found someone for you. But obviously, one of the ways to circumvent this forced marriage was to force your own marriage by kidnapping this bride. So I guess it's a for- form of elopement to a certain extent, but... I think that almost obviously, you know, there's not always good actors. There's some bad actors in different customs and traditions. So it, I think it was one of the unique and honestly is some pretty sad because, you know, the girl in this documentary, she wanted to be a lawyer and go to school, but then she got literally kidnapped, taken to this person's house to get married. And now she has to take care of, you know, the guy and the family and, who knows if she'll end up going to school or not. Uh, the documentary is, I think, at this point, like eight, nine years old. So maybe, you know, she did go back to school. I don't know. But at that time, kind of sad. And, you know, you're pretty much forced to m- marry your kidnapper, which is kind of messed up in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot of Stockholm syndrome happening. Yeah, exactly. And, but, and that really ironic thing, or even the, I guess even the more sad thing is, you know, the girl eventually comes around because it's, you know, they say they think of it as tradition. And then eventually, you know, they'll be the mother 
you know, down the line, and they'll be the one convincing another girl who gets kidnapped to marry their son or daughter, right? Or son, I guess. Um, obviously, these days it's also used in uh, in different ways, such as if the guy and the girl has already, you know, agreed to get married eventually. Like I said, it's a form of elopement. But even then, I think it's in today's day and age, it's quite the outdated fashion. I think, in my opinion. Um, as with a lot of things, I did watch a lot of <laughs> Vice documentaries. Um, whether you have good things to say about or bad things about Vice, mm-hmm. it was, it's still pretty, you know, info- like it informed me quite a lot because I didn't know about this. It led me to other research. So it was, it was pretty unique, I guess. Um, obviously, it's other people's traditions, but that doesn't make it right um, all the time, uh, you know. So there's, I think it's the things that people really need to consider whether you're part of it or looking from an outside perspective yeah it sounds like i don't know sounds very interesting um in the sense of like what is understanding the practice of it exactly exactly so for me what did i learn this week i remember i learned a little bit about the economics of broadway and of 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 broadway (laughs) Um, and it's very interesting to under like to get to know how much money gets put into the theater and why sometimes it's hard to get a show going for a long run nowadays with the economics of how much it costs to put on a Broadway show or even an off Broadway show. It's quite amazing. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, it's all the cost, right? So, uh, I think it goes as simple as starting with theater rental, which uh, depending on which theater you want, it's the price. Um, Then, of course, the cost of like the cast, but then you have all the other things, right? Like who the choreographer is, score, um, the musical director, the general director, and then everything that involves in terms of like set, costumes, this or that, marketing tour and it just um uh it is a big production and then uh, i mean the main thing first is when it comes to broadway or of broadway is just the amount of people that a theater can seat so of course broadways um on theaters i don't remember right on the top of my head but i think it's over 500 people um that is considered a broadway production anything underneath that um it is considered an off-broadway um so it's very interesting and yeah because of like and like in that like you make projections in terms of like ticket costs um and then how much is it gonna like how much do we project um and to win just by seats by merchandise this or that um and then that's kind of like, okay, so based on that, this is how much our ticket prices are going to be and like the different layers of ticket pricing and how much of a steady, uh, in a certain way, how much of a steady stream of how many tickets we need to be selling each show we need to get in order to make the show viable so that investors are able. So there are shows that they cost just millions and millions of dollars, which um, it's very interesting. Yeah, I think... Even, you know, Broadway and the entertainment industry as a whole, I think that those are very good, you know, points of conversation when it comes to, you know, again, pulling it back to the money aspect of the world, really. Yes, I know. It's um, it's interesting in terms of that. But then you kind of like the interesting part also is like, yes, there's I mean, I don't know, like in the States, there probably is, but not as many. But like same as in Canada. But there, at least in Canada, I know because I have a friend in the theater world that there there are grants in order to support the production here, here, there, and that because it is expensive. But it is just impressive, like something that provides entertainment, something that seems to be like a cultural aspect of New York. You know, uh, they're not getting in a certain way the investment and funding necessary that everything has to be going through investors and all of that. That uh, you know, it makes things very expensive. So, yeah, that is that is quite interesting. It is, and like I mean, the main point of it is just like something that is supposed to be such a huge cultural piece, 
uh, not only only for Broadway, but when you expand it to what the what it is for the nation, right? Um, the fact that it is meant like Americans and everyone is so proud of that part of it, but that there's no fun things, so then things need to be cut short or not even produced. Uh, kind of like you know, tell like tell the gay like, oh yeah, we want movies and like movies not really there's always investors in that but like we want plays and theater and all of this but then people are not funding it because how expensive it is and how hard it is to get the money for it yeah and you know to be honest i've only been to a couple of plays myself but i would love to go to more but i think it's just in my opinion i think plays are just so harder to go to you know not just broadway plays but even plays that your local you know, city, it's a lot harder to go to those than say watch a movie at the movie theaters or just stream something, right? So I wish it was more accessible, but obviously you need a lot more space, a lot more people involved in plays, I think. Um, even though, right, like sometimes movies, they can disappoint, but I think plays there, I think it's a little bit more fun. I think that's probably the better word to um, use for plays. Mm-hmm. It's a different type of entertainment. It is not for everyone, I would say that, but just like movies, there's something for almost everyone uh it is part of that life like for me it's a part of the life experience of having people acting in front of you all right we're sharing so as we move on to our this week's episode what are we talking about so uh, we're three weeks into 2023 right and going on to the fourth week i guess but it already seems like there's been so much going on in the world And it's been a minute since we did a catch-up, you know, current event type of episode. So definitely want to hit that up. I know also we're only two episodes away from episode 100. So this is actually episode number 98. So the February 6th episode will be episode 100. Can you believe it, Andres? I can't. No, I cannot believe it. But, you know, before we get to the big 100, let's just break down some of the things happening in the world in our current city and you know in the bigger picture in the world so let's let's go let's dive in um so for the cool one of the cool news that i actually read recently was that croatia actually joined the eurozone on january 1st 2023 um i don't know if you saw that i'm sure you did but croatia they finally you know on january 1st adopted the euro and joined the Schengen area becoming the 20th member state um, of the eurozone and the 27th member of the Schengen area which is pretty cool to see right i don't it, it, it seems like we're always talking about how the european union and countries in europe do it right and i think obviously i think that's a big deal for croatia and europe as a whole yeah i mean i think croatia's um bidding to get into the eurozone has been i mean it is a long process from what i remember um learning quite a bit some time ago uh it was it's a long process and that all um that all member nations need to like vote unanimously in order to integrate people into those into the european um into the european union exactly and i guess you know before we go any further there's a couple differences between eurozone Schengen area and european union um, so the EU is more like a governance, right? They are more the governance play the governance role. Whereas the Eurozone, it's more of the monetary. They, you know, look after the euro and no longer use other your former currency from that country. And then for Shenzhen, it's more of the mobility between the countries, you know, work permits and all that just makes it easier. And from what I saw, Eurozone so now has twenty countries and Shenzhen area has 27 now and then the EU has 28 so obviously you know a lot a lot of countries in those different groups the eurozone obviously some of the bigger names missing from the eurozone is UK obviously but also Norway and Sweden and then in the Shenzhen area obviously UK um, you know they're not there but as far as the larger EU, a lot of the countries are there. Um, one big missing from that is Norway. Um, 
So it's pretty cool to see, you know, why different countries join, why, you know, countries would like to join, right? Even we heard it last year when Ukraine was, you know, or when Ukraine got attacked, that they wanted to be part of EU and they want to be part of this. I want to say exclusive group because I think being part of the EU is pretty exclusive and pretty cool. It is a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's exclusive. It's just like an, another big economic group. Yeah. I Because the only reason I say it's exclusive is because it is a, quite the process, right? Um, it does. You can't just apply willy-nilly and get in. There's, I believe, there's different steps that you have to get through. But I think eventually all of Europe will be part of it, I think. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it's going to be less as cool or more cool. I don't know. Like, that'll be interesting to see going forward but even then obviously there's always going to be some countries that don't join ever right so like i said like like norway isn't part of a couple norway and sweden is, isn't part of another of these unions so it's it's pretty interesting to see it, yeah it's interesting well i think it's like with the european union is not only also about economics there's also other principles that need to be followed so uh for example, there, like when Poland became a very right wing that was jeopardizing justice and um, justice and democracy, there were already talks in terms of like, can we keep uh, Poland as part of as part of the EU because it does not abide by the principles and values of democracy and justice. So that's why it's a long process is because other pr- principles other than economics apply to um, to become a member. Um, what I was reading earlier, it said, so the EU, in all of its configuration, it's a infograph from the alienhub.news, which says, so the single market, EU, is 28 countries, free circulation of people, goods, services, and capital. Um, Iceland, Norway, and Liechtenstein follow most of the rules. And then the Schengen area, which is 26 countries, now 27 countries, no interior border controls, some EU members do not belong, while some EU non-EU countries do. And lastly, the Eurozone, which, you know, 20th country now, 20 countries, EU member states that share a single currency. And it's pre- it is pretty interesting to see the differences. Um, I think, you know, us being in Canada, I wish we had something like that for North America. I wish, you know, it was easier to move around, um, even with currency, if, you know, U.S., Canada, Mexico, and even other Central America countries. Obviously, I don't think it'll ever happen because, you know, U- U.S. wants to remain this high and mighty country, I think. But it would be pretty neat. Or, you know, if the Commonwealth, so such as U.K., um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, we came up with a system similar to that to make it easier to, you know, whether it's for immigration purposes or just goods and services, I think it would be really beneficial. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of people would be unhappy with that because it's not very nationalistic in the Western society. I think that nationalism really comes through, but even then I think European countries are just as national nationalistic or patriotic, you know, whatever you want to use. But I think they're happy in being part of the EU where if like for me myself, if Canada was part of this larger group where, you know, you could go to America and work there for three, four years, and make it easier than it is now, you know, or you want to go to Australia and New Zealand, work there for a couple of years and not just on, you know, holiday working visa. I think that would be great. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, it will make things a lot easier. Exactly. And it's, you know, I I, I would think the Commonwealth, you know, they, they say Commonwealth this, Commonwealth that, so that they make it a little bit easier, but it really isn't, I guess. But I don't know, maybe in the future some will come of it, maybe it won't. I guess we'll have to wait and see. (laughs) We'll see what happens. And then another big current event right now happening is the NFL playoffs. As we all know, it's the wild card weekend. At the time of the recording, the Philadelphia Eagles had beat the New York Giants 38-7. Kansas City Chiefs had beat Jacksonville Jaguars 27-20. And then the Cincinnati Bengals just beat the Buffalo Bills 27-10 with Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers yet to play. So I know we talked about World Cup football a month ago, I think a month and a half ago, but now it's NFL playoffs, Super Bowl, right around the corner, Andreas. Yeah, just two weeks 
like, yeah, two weeks to like close to like a little bit more than two weeks. But yeah, Super Bowl is coming soon. Exactly. Kind of sad to see because, you know, obviously the Seahawks aren't in. And I know your team, the Patriots, aren't in either. Well, Seahawks got beat in the first round, I guess. So, but even yeah. then, you know, it is what it is. But overall, I think NFL playoffs are always a fun thing to watch. Um, I've been watching the hair games here and there where I can. Have you been watching? Have you been keeping up to date for the play- NFL playoffs? Nope. <laughs> I have not <laughs> been keeping in place with that. You get a pass because you're in school, so it's all good. It is just, yeah. And then there's not like an easy way, like other than going through Reddit and trying to stream them. So, yeah, I wish, you know, like before, I remember we had this conversation before, but you know, five, 10 years ago, we'd easily just find a stream to watch it because it was so hard to find the games. But then it got a little bit easier, but now they made it super hard again, or it's just really expensive. And whether you believe or not that, you know, streaming illegally or legally, you know, whatever you do, I think there's ways to find, watch a game, whether it's finding it at your home or just going to a bar and watching the game. Cause I know a lot of bars and, you know, pubs put on the game. So whatever it is. And I know a lot of time these days, people share accounts too. Um, I think Canada, it's a little bit harder cause we don't, it's, Especially in the playoffs, it's different. But in the regular season, like, you know, we don't get games for all the teams. So it's kind of hard to, like, pick and choose which teams you want to, like, watch because you're not always going to get the same teams every day, right? Yeah, I know. It's not the same. And it's... um, It is just... I don't know. It's just... It's a different world. And even, like, we're watching, like, regular TV. Just, like, oh, who is your TV provider? It's like, who is buying TV nowadays? <laughs> like everything can be streamed so why yes. can I not watch my games on CTV <laughs> like I would if I like had like an 10 hour something exactly and you know that goes that that's also that you can expand that even broader you know back in the day cable TV was super cheap and they got super expensive with all the bundles and all the different channels so st- people started, you know, buying subscription to Netflix, Hulu, whatever. But now all these subscription-based companies are almost becoming like cable because every different show is on every different streamer services. It is true. It's just, it's just like at the end of the day, it also becomes a hefty bill having to pay for all the streaming. But it kind of like, yeah, I know there are like certain things, but still not very accessible. But when it comes to watching the playoffs. Exactly, exactly. So I guess you know NFL playoffs going strong. Any predictions? Who you got in the Super Bowl on this? I don't even know who is in everything. I'll have to look into it and then I can make a prediction. All right. I'll make my predictions right now. I think from the NFC, the Eagles are gonna make it. They look really strong. Um obviously the Cowboys and the 49ers have yet to play, but I think the 49ers will win that. But actually no, I take that back. I think the Cowboys are gonna win. And then the Eagles will beat them. But in the AFC, I think it's going to be Bengals. Obviously, Bengals won. Um, and then Chiefs won too. But I think Bengals are going to win. So it's going to be Eagles versus Bengals in the finals. In the Super Bowl, I guess. And I think Eagles are going to win it. Do you think so? Well, we'll see how that goes. Exactly, exactly. And then a couple of interesting other headlines that I've seen in the news recently is obviously, I'm, I know, I'm pretty sure you've been following this as well. Uh, Republican... Congressman George Santos and all the things he's lied about. <laughs> oh, God. It seems crazy to me that someone like him has been elected into the you know, House of Representatives in the U.S., but honestly, nothing surprises me coming out of the U.S. politics. Me, like, honestly, same. I, It's just like, of course it would happen. Like, everyone is acting like, oh, my God, what a shocker. But is it really a shocker? Hmm, don't think so. <laughs> yeah, like some of the things he's lied about, it's like, how do you get away? Like, you know, if a, if a nor- normal person said this or, you know, lied about some of the things, you would be fired from work easily, especially if it's your, just something simple as your credentials. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I think, that made the thing, right, and that it's big in question is the fact that he, in a certain way, he defrauded his constituents because 
let's say i'm not saying like oh uh certain things matter more than others but let's say like if you are someone that is looking for um for financials and economics uh like better policies on terms of that and then someone tells you like oh i have an mba from nyu of course you're gonna be like okay uh, this person knows about economics and financials right but then to turn out to like <laughs> that was a lie and like you're defranchising because you're portraying yourself as like someone that will be able to carry out the policies that you're able like that you want to see implemented in government but then their actual qualifications do not line up with what you want in policy so um i think yeah it's just other things should happen like other consequences should happen because it is it's crazy yeah like you know just going back to my argument of you know if if any of us lied in the resume or we got caught in a lie anyway we'd be fired no questions asked you know but meanwhile this person who you know arguably one of the higher authority i guess obviously he's a rookie in the politics but even then he could have a lot of sway in these like smaller committees in the larger you know house of reps so and the fact that nobody on the republic side you know or very few people are really speaking out against him you know it's like when you realize somebody has messed up you got to hold them accountable and no one's really doing that that's the important part is like no one is holding him accountable to what he to what he has done well in like at congress because his constituents have spoken out about um, about what they think should be done in terms of of all of this. Because yeah, it is wild. Yeah, the one of the things that really you know made my eyes widen when was he? I believe once when he said he was Jewish, but then later when he got called out, he said, "I was I never claimed to be Jewish. I am Jew." ish like you know um it's like what what on earth like is this satire like everything every time every day on the news i see his name i have to sell ask myself is if this is satire or real life it like doesn't seem like it's real life but it's real life i guess <laughs> it is it is just like why you know like what's the point of all of this lying like you could still have one like if you have run like who knows right like who knows if he could have one or not um, like running on a different platform, but yeah, this is like there's a difference between embellishing <laughs> and defrauding, and I feel this is full on defrauding, defranchising. Um, something needs to be done, and also the funny part is like he says, like oh, he doesn't give an answer to any of those questions, but what the most recent news saying that he uh, he did drag in like a festival in Brazil, he immediately is like oh, you're trying to portray this image of me that it's false, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, so we do speak up when we want to, don't we? And you right away said like, oh, no, 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 that's not me. Uh, but then you don't answer the other questions. Very convenient, if I must say so. Yeah, I think a lot of pol politics is that, you know, sidestepping a lot of questions. But with him, it seems like, yeah, honestly, I don't even know what to believe he says. Not that I really listen to him. It's just whatever something about him comes out that's very outlandish. It's like, well, this was a lie too. It's like, well, like, how do you trust your own politician if he's going to lie about the smallest things, right? And even like the House leader, Kevin McCarthy, he says he's not going to do anything because he's like, in two years from now, he can get voted out by his people, but he can have so much other damage before then. Yeah, and I mean, on that one, like when he's like, oh, the people spoke. It's like the people spoke for a completely different person yeah you know it's like if a completely different person ran and then this new dude came onto congress and be like actually this is me it's kind of like like if someone landed their name right for recognition and then they get elected just based on the name and then the real person shows up to the job yep exactly exactly and it is you absolutely like you voted for you like you know you people voted for the lie not for this guy <laughs> exactly exactly especially yeah especially in some of those districts that they might have been more concerned about the economy and 
you know, certain things swayed them to vote for someone that appeared to have the experience that they thought would be needed for economical policies. But, oh, well. <laughs> exactly. So it'll be interesting. Uh, probably nothing is going to come of this, to be honest, because, you know, we all know how that they operate. But nonetheless, it will be interesting to see if, you know, even a shred of dignity comes to anyone in the next little bit. Who knows, honestly. And I mean, the ethics can do whatever they can, but when they have a house that's controlled by a group of people that, um, I would not hesitate my words that are a bunch of hypocrites, um, then I think it makes it very hard. Yep, exactly, exactly. Any other news we shared that are out there? In the world, um, I guess the other big one was the um, coup in Brazil. Um, obviously, very similar to the coup that happened on you know January sixth in twenty twenty one in the states. Similar, similar circumstances. I want to say almost too, because we all know how the one in the U.S. went, and then in Brazil, it was all the Bolsonaro, you know, fanatics. I want to say mm-hmm. uh, an overthrow and get him back instead of Lula. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another one. Another one of those very heavy right-wing uh, governments that not similar to what happened in the States, but similar in terms of like people feel like it was a fraud. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it is pretty interesting, the parallels, right? Obviously not exactly the same, but some of the things that you know Trump has said in the past and Bolsonaro has said, very similar, almost personalities, and rally. They know what to say to rile up their bases, and obviously, you know, it's it's not going to end good for anyone, really. Like it's just it just looks bad throughout the world, right? Like if you can't have a peaceful transfer of power when you know you're speaking from a democracy standpoint, you lose almost a lot of credibility. To be honest, yeah, of course, all the time it's like that, and I just I just don't un- like. Like, it's just like, this is part of democracy. Someone wins and someone loses. Exactly. And this one was pretty, pretty big as well because it started on January 8th. And I think some of the reports said um, 2,000 people were detained as well as 1,200 remain under arrest. Um, And then obviously uh, Lula has also, he ended up finding a couple of his, you know, not key maybe key may not maybe key but some advisors because he thought they would be you know involved in some way or another and recently he did also sack the army commander so it's i think it is pretty interesting to see what comes of this in brazil as well because in the u.s it really seemed like nothing came of it yeah they did all this inquiry and you know they showed all this footage that happened during the time but really, I don't think, besides the people that actually went rioted, like, no one else faced consequences. And by no one else, I mean the people, you know, riling up these people to go and attack. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, a, such a s- slow process. Exactly. And, you know, just, I think that just the way that the House works in the U.S., it's, it is always going to be a slow because there's always going to be votes after votes. And, you know, we were talking about this, you and I were talking about this last couple of I think two weeks ago when the house was voting on the house speaker, um, I think after 15 tries, they finally got Kevin McCarthy, but it's a shit show. And I don't see it getting any time like better anytime soon. And even Brazil, you know, similar, I think, and not just us and Brazil, there's a lot of places going through similar changes where the right wing, you know, extremists, I want to say almost they're coming back louder and, more, with more of a vengeance almost because they've been silenced for some reason, but I don't think so. I don't think they've been really silenced. They just want to make themselves a victim almost. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the other day I was listening to kind of like where like everyone is like, oh, but this just originated like a couple, like when Trump came into power, but apparently not. Apparently it's been co- going for a while now. It's been something that has been happening since the Tea Party. So it is a while. So. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, you know, I don't think, and you that's a really good point, because even the, some of the things that have happened since Trump has been, you know, president, 
a lot of people will blame Trump, but honestly, I think it's been going on for a while, but I think he just was a catalyst of making it even a bigger than deal than it already was. Well, yeah, well, he gave them the platform to be able to say outrageous things. Like if the president of the United States is able to say these outrageous things, me living and like having this, uh, these emotions and like these thoughts and this point of view, I can finally express it because in a certain way, like an authority is being able to express it without any repercussions. So why can't I as a citizen be able to do that? So he encouraged them. But yeah, it's, at the end of the day, this entire Freedom Caucus and all of that, it is just uh, another way of saying the Tea Party. And we all know how the Tea Party thought. Exactly. And it is, you know, we even in Canada, we see it slowly seeping into here. And not just sleeping, I think it's pretty prevalent in the prairies, obviously, um, as we've seen, you know, in Alberta politics. But even, you know, to a certain extent, Ontario, um, it's honestly, it's everywhere because you can't have people all on the same side of the spectrum. So obviously there's going to be, you know, both sides of the spectrum, which is fine. But then I think it's extremism on either side that really makes it go, you know, like I said, a shit show. It is. It's just like... uh, like we've been saying before, it's just so hard to have a decent conversation with these people. Exactly. All right. And then one final piece of news, Brishank. We can have an entire conversation about it later, but we cannot go. Like something that we as Canadians um, and all of us that live in Canada proud ourselves in, uh, in the global sphere is our healthcare system, that it is a national healthcare system, technically, uh, that it's publicly funded, and you know, wherever you go, you have access to healthcare. That's something we pride as Canadians, something that we do. Um, but now, good old announcement from our friend um, Doc Ford, and kind of like hinting on the idea of what seems like to be a little bit of privatization of the healthcare system in Ontario. Yeah, I think it, this is a very slippery slope and I do want to talk about this, you know, in the next couple of weeks because it is a big deal. Um, you know, like you said, you know, the health system in Canada was born out of, you know, the great Tommy Douglas. And as we all know, he's one of the greatest, Can- I think he was voted the number one Canadian um back in 2007 if i recall correctly but you know we have been proudful and i said we because even for me you know i've been canada for the last 14 15 years i consider myself canadian and, and i'm sure you do as well but now to see it in the state that it is right now like i was just reading an article on cbc that the other the other day that said ontario pediatric hospital asked for help to deal with a backlog of, backlog of 12,000 surgeries which and about half of the children on the wait list are waiting beyond recommended wait times. So that's, you know, that's not just for the average person. That's for the average children, right? Child. Mm-hmm. And they can't get the, you know, surgery they need. They can't get the medicine they need. Wait times in the, even the ER are, you know, I remember back in the day when I went to the ER, you know, just for a stitch on my head, um, stitches on my head. It was, I waited like eight, nine hours just to get stitches which obviously is not a really big deal. You know, I wasn't bleeding out profusely. Um, there's people that are worse than me out there. But, you know, just the fact that the wait time was that long and even for surgery, you know, you you have to wait months, even years. Um, transplants, another big thing. Treatments for different diseases. Like, it's, like, you know, it's insane to hear about all these in Canada. It is. And it's just, like, once again, it's just... You know, the more I dis- like we discussed about this, uh, because now we're talking my field, <laughs> uh, the more we discuss and talk about it, it's just, um, and the more you hear about like actual people, like people just want easy, not easy solutions, but people want things that they're able to see right away. And those, when you think about policy development, those are the easy solutions, you know? Uh, but to really make a big change, 
it takes a t- one it takes time and two uh it is more complex than what you know people understand it to be on uh, Yeah, it is just crazy how like the wait times are crazy. So I agree that something needs to be done. The fact that he's proposing, he's like, "Oh, anyone." And we can talk more about it later, but the main thing for me, the main issue is moving it to private clinics. I do agree that they can be moved to different systems that are still part of the public healthcare system. But the main issue I take is moving them to the private sector because he's like saying like, oh, you can still access it with your OHEP card, which is basically for anyone who's not from Ontario or from Canada. It's basically your health card, like your insurance card at the end of the day. Um, yeah, like the surgery and what the government would have paid in a hospital will pay for that. But the problem with private clinics is like, oh, you will need to maybe stay two nights after for recovery because that's their practice uh, at the clinic. Uh, and then it's like, but the government will have never paid for that. It will have been an in and out surgery. So now the individual will have to pay for two overnights of recovery at the private clinic. And that's not covered by insurance. And that's not something that, of course, Doc Ford is not going to say or say like, oh, yeah, there are extra costs with private clinics. He's not, not going to acknowledge that because he will not get the buy-in of people. And the biggest thing is like big medical institutions like the College of, like the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons is like saying like, no, this is not okay. And he's going against what they're saying as like one of the biggest medical institutions in the country. So that's the big issue is like he's trying to gear a certain way when everyone is telling him that's not the way to go about it. Yep. And, you know, I think one of the big issues with healthcare in Canada is, you know, it is, like I said, it's universal healthcare, which obviously leads to uh, not le- way less, but more, like, you know, sig- not significantly less, I should say, but less salary than say that, you know, doctors in the US, which is the reason that we lose a lot of doctors and nurses as well, right? Because a lot of doctors and nurses and people in the healthcare field end up ever eventually moving to the U.S. because the pay is so much there. And see, you know, like we hear on the news all the time that nurses' salaries are getting cut, doctors' um, salaries are also getting cut, and just the environment that they have to deal with in hospitals or you know, wherever they work in the Canada, I think it needs to be better, right? It's like, I know one of my friends, when she first started, she hated it because just it was such a stressful place to work. And obviously some of the stress doesn't just go away with more money, but, you know, there needs to be better ways to help doctors and nurses themselves within the ecosystem. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, um, once again, it just like, there needs to be reform of the healthcare system, but those changes are not easy changes. They're very complex changes, right? And the thing is, like, even though we continue speaking about like universal healthcare and at a national level, at the end of the day, it's the province that decides how to execute their healthcare system, and that's what makes it more complicated, right? Like, we can see it, like how the healthcare system right now is in the prairies in Saskatchewan, Alberta, compared to. BC, Ontario, Quebec, right? They're very, like, I wouldn't say like drastically different healthcare systems, but, you know, with Alberta and Saskatchewan, we can see kind of like favoring some of the private clinics practices, what effect has it actually had on healthcare, right? Um, So that's like the main, like, I wouldn't say one of the bigger barriers, but it's like one main factor is that at the end of the day, the provinces handle their healthcare systems how they want to. Exactly. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see because obviously, you know, even in Canada, like the politicians, it seems like we're going backwards no matter where you live. Overall, the country is doing decent. But I think in terms of the provinces, you know, whether it's Ford, Scott Moe, or Lego in Quebec, it seems like we're moving backwards at, in some respects. Not everything, but some respects, especially, you know, the social... Um, social services healthcare education we're going backwards and I, I don't think that's a good yeah we'll see how it goes we still have a couple of years before we head into an election um but who knows how that'll go 
you know, I have high hopes, but honestly, I don't think that anything's going to change because people are, you know, overall, people are still unhappy with Justin Trudeau, but they're not that so unhappy. They're going to vote uh, Pierre, obviously, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I, don't, I honestly don't expect any changes. I think we talked about this, you know, during the election, but I don't see Canada politics changing in the next election. Maybe the next one, next one, but not the next one. <laughs> Yeah, there's still, like, that's what I say. Like, there's still, like, some room in order to get through the humps that the government is facing, uh, that is facing right now. And, I like, yeah, you said, like, I don't have, like, high, high hopes. But uh, at the same time, one of the things, like, kind of, like, gives me a little glimmer of hope is the fact that uh, it is... um, it is a even though it's like a liberal minority government, there is this agreement with the NDP, right? So if the liberals are not putting forward legislation that kind of like they have already agreed upon with the NDP, uh, then things might not happen, and then we'll probably go into an election sooner rather than later. Um, and that's kind of like what my glimpse of hope is, is because you know the NDP has very progressive. Um, progressive policies so that's what gives me a little bit more of kind of like putting a break on where our conservative friends are trying to push a little bit too hard exactly and you know the other thing about politics and we've talked about this you know mentioned this before but some of the things that are beyond the national level it really comes down to the province and vice versa and you know people just have selective out outrage almost you know they want to be mad at Justin Trudeau because he's a leader of the country whereas sometimes he just has you know no power in things in regards to the province right so it's kind of that's also it comes out to education I think even myself I think in politics there's just so many parts of the wheel that need to be that you need to look at for the whole wheel to work really yeah no and that's the thing and like at the end of the day like you mentioned it's a federal system so there's decisions that the government, the federal government cannot have, uh, cannot really have an intrusion. And so kind of like bringing it back to healthcare, they, the federal government can be like, this is what we need for health. Everyone needs to have access to health because this is what, like the federal government, basically their job is, you know, doing what is written on the health act. And then from them just doing the health transfer uh, the money transfer in regard to health services, they might be able to put some clauses in terms of like how the money needs to get used. But at the end of the day, it's a province that decides how to do it. So you cannot, in a certain way, you cannot get angry at uh, the only on like what you can only get angry at the federal government when it comes to things like, you know, how the money is getting transferred and what are the conditions on the money. But the way it's applied, you literally, the people that if you're angry about anything, it's your premier and your ministry of health. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, even Canada politics, like I said, is getting crazy, but I hope, you know, we can improve it going forward. I will hope so. I, I have hopes that we will not end up like in our neighbors down south. Let's hope so. Let's let's hope that stays true for a long, long time. I will hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap up this episode absolutely so Andres, what are you looking forward to for the upcoming week um for the upcoming week what i'm looking forward to is once again you know i've been on this routine trying to establish it it's going well uh there are certain days that it doesn't go as well as i planned because you know things happen um but i'm starting to getting back into that routine and probably who knows? Maybe I'll go back to working out. I really miss it, and I think it, I think I'm in a place where I can incorporate that back uh, into my life. So, looking forward to that. And then um, I was planning maybe going with some friends up to Quebec City. I haven't been to Quebec City since 2001. <laughs> it's been a very long time. So, um, excited about that part about maybe going to Quebec City, who knows, uh, the weather looks very cold for the, the upcoming weekend, so I might just want to bundle up and stay at home, uh, but that's what I've been doing the past couple of weekends, so kind of like want to change that a little bit, but um, 
those are things I'm looking forward to sharing. How would you, what are you looking forward to this upcoming weekend? Um, before that, uh, before and before the end of episode, I just want to say happy new lunar new year to those that celebrate. Um, I sh- we should mention at the beginning of the episode, but I totally forgot. <laughs> it's a brand new lunar new year. It's a year of the rabbit, 2023. So hopefully your year ahead is warm and prosperous. Yes. Um, but as for myself, I am looking forward to um, this week. A couple things happening, actually. So it is my birthday on Saturday. Um, the big 2-8, I guess. I don't know whether that's good or bad. I think bad because we're getting older. But, I mean, the good thing the good thing about that is I will be going down to the U.S. Um, as you can, as you remember, I couldn't go down for Christmas. But now I'm going for my birthday for a weekend, just over a week. We'll be down there celebrating with Agrima. Um, it is supposed to snow a lot this week. I leave on Thursday night. So hopefully, you know, no delays, no nothing. But nonetheless, I think it'll be a fun week. That will be exciting. I hope the best for you and a good time down in the States. Thank you. And likewise in Quebec, Sydney. If I go, if I go, <laughs> that's still on uh, that's still on the planning stages. We'll see. Well, you, you're always welcome to come to Ottawa when I'm back. Andres. I'm actually going to go when you're not there and I'll go into your house. Uh, I mean, you can just take one of the keys, but... <laughs> <laughs> that does not make it as exciting, Bushing. True. You can break in. <laughs> yes, I'll break. I'll have Sherlock break in. <laughs> All right. So, Bushing, where can our listeners reach out to us? So, like always, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or crybaby stuff, you can reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, the Two Average Browns Rose Podcast. Hit us up. Talk to us about the weather, about politics, about world news, whatever it is. Um, or any documentaries that you've been watching recently I've been going, like I said, I've been going on a big documentary binge and not even like a like a full, fully made documentary I've just been watching YouTube videos of people that, you know, go look, watch people do their daily life in rural Kenya or rural Kazakhstan, like I said, right? So anything you've been watching for the last little bit let us know, we'll be happy to talk to you about it like the, the, uh, yeah, I love documentaries, so we appreciate any recommendations. But other than that, thank you for tuning in to another episode. As Bruchang mentioned, we're coming close to the 100 episodes, so let us know if there's any specific topic or anything that we should do for it. But other than that, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you up next week with another episode of the Two Average Farmers Podcast. Bye! See ya!